Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Um, Go with me in your Bibles uh, to Philippians chapter 4, and today our text is verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord, and this is our text for study this morning. Bow with me in prayer as we begin. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you are good and you are glorious. Thank you, Lord, that we get to worship you on another Lord's Day. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I pray as your word is opened, you would take your word and apply it to our hearts that we might live enjoying you and glorifying you today. Lord, be with me as I deliver your word uh, to be clear and by your spirit change us through your word Uh, more into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's our text for study today. Uh, In a a sentence, this this text uh, is the discipleship process for believers. The discipleship process for believers. Uh, Knowledge, that, that which we know, that we set our mind on. Knowledge shapes our actions. Just like belief, what we believe, shapes our behavior. Most of the New Testament follows this general pattern of there's things we need to think rightly. So Paul, he writes a letter to a church. Here's what you need to know based on some doctrinal truth. And based on that truth, here's how we ought to live. And here's a promise. God is, God is with you. Or God is gracious. And that's a general pattern for the whole of the New Testament. Here's uh, just one example from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is, this is discipleship and this is the, the pattern, the process. There's something we need to be taught. There's something we need to obey and the promise. God is with us always. And that, this is the same pattern in our text this morning. You probably see that already. Uh, there's things we need to think about. There's things we need to practice. And by the way, the God of peace will be with you. So I, I'm laying this out in the outset because I, I want us to have the, the roadmap, the, the big picture of how this text is working. Uh, what, what is God's will for us based on this, these two verses? What do we need to know? What do we need to do? And the promise. So I'm setting that out for us to have some handles on this passage uh, as we dive in deep, dive deep to it. So there's, there's truth, there's doctrine that we need to know, uh, and that truth, that doctrine, when we remember it, 
shapes my behavior, my conduct. We see that already. So from our text this morning, from our text this morning, I have three questions. Three questions to assess our discipleship health. How are we doing as followers of Jesus Christ? The word here, finally, we see in verse 8, uh, it means from here on out, or uh, from now on, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to do. That's where the title of the message comes from. From here on out. And that's what Paul is simply laying out to the church here in Philippi. From here on out, my beloved, think these things and do these things. So here's our, our questions. The first one, first question for us this morning, from here on out, where is my delight where is my delight? Think about these things. We see this from verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, here's the command. Think about these things. This, these, this text has two commands in it. And the first one is think. It's, uh, it's in the imperative in the Greek, and that simply means a continuous command. We're never going to graduate beyond this instruction for us. There are things that as believers are right and good for us to think, to think about. But there's something interesting about this word think uh, I want you to think about. This word is in the passive tense in the Greek as opposed to the active and don't, stay with me, stay with me. This is all the Greek we're going to get into, I promise. Uh, but this is important, okay? So think is in the passive tense, but in verse 9, the word practice, the, the other command, is in the active. Uh, active refers to one acting, actually doing something. But passive refers to being acted upon. Here's why this is so significant. What Paul lays out here for us is these, these qualities, these characteristics ought to have an effect on our thinking, not the other way around. So it, we could say it like this. Let what is true shape your thinking. Or let what is honorable fill your thinking. Let what is commendable shape our thinking. Let these qualities be our thinking. And that's, uh, that's significant for us because, so I was getting ready to study this message, and uh, throughout the week, I'm, I'm thinking about it and thinking, why, why on earth is, is Paul setting this up like this? It's so, so constricting, like whatever's true, honorable. So one day this week, I'm making dinner, and I was just thinking, where does the temperature that ground beef needs to be cooked at, where does that fit in? Okay, temperature, I looked up how to bake a potato. Uh, so I'm like, well, where does that, does that, is that truth? Uh, is that lovely, a potato, uh, temperature of a potato? No, that, that's not how this text is working for us. It's much more broad than that. It's much more influential than so restrictive, true, honorable. This actually is a life-giving instruction for us. It intends for us to open up our thinking to ultimately Christ and God and what is in heaven, Christ-likeness in our thinking not a restrictive, narrow sense. It actually is elevating our thinking. So John MacArthur, uh, he says it this way. The phrase, think, on these things, introduces an important truth. Spiritual stability, in other words, discipleship, is a result of how a person thinks. The Bible leaves no doubt that people's lives 
are the product of their thoughts. So understand, God cares about what we think about. He intends for us, for our thoughts to be shaped ultimately in him and through him and for him. As believers, we have the mind of Christ. So all our thoughts are to be filtered through Jesus Christ. Where is my delight? First off, we're starting with what is true. Uh, and this, this word truth, it, it is, yes, true and factual truth, but also denotes a love for the truth, that which is reliable, faithful, and objective. Where does truth come from? Uh, that's a question that is consistent, more and more being asked in our culture. What is truth and where does it come from? Well, first, let me tell you, truth comes from God. God is the source and standard for all truth for all time. Uh, you, you may have heard this statement before. All truth is God's truth. God is the one who made the world and everything in it. And so he alone has the, the right and the authority to say what is true, what is real, and what is right. He, uh, he is the creator, we're the creation. So uh, I like the, uh, there's a, a Canadian apologist I've, I've uh, followed, and I like the way he says it. He just has this statement. Truth is that which conforms to God. Truth is that which conforms to the mind and character of God. And this is important for us to think about because Paul says we're to have what is true influence our thinking. In other words, we're to have char the characteristics of godliness influence our thinking. And uh, th Just notice there's something of a progression here. We, get, we start off with what is true, and we end if... We end here with, if there's anything worthy of praise, it kind of like, it's like a, a, you're stepping up and up. You go from true to honorable to just to pure. You can see where Paul kind of ends up in this crescendo. Anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. Well, we have to start with what is true. We have to start with what is true. Uh, now, nowadays, we're, we're he, we hear more and more of phrases like, speak your truth, or that's true for you. And they're popular sayings, and it, that's popular cultural thinking, but it's detached from reality. Truth it must be objectively true. And uh, that simply means that needs to be verified outside of ourselves. We need a higher standard to appeal to than ourselves or our, our own subjective feeling. Uh, to say it simply, your truth is your truth, is detached from reality because it's detached from God. So um, there's totally a, a desire to make truth subjective or your own opinion. And once we do that, well, everybody will be happy and we'll all get along. And um, that's just not the way the world works. God is truth. And, and understand, nobody really, really believes that truth is subjective. We can all, there's a desire, a temptation to say it in the culture, but it's not really true. And I can, I can prove it. Well, first off, we know that by God's word. But I have a practical example. How do we know that truth is really objective and we ought to base our life upon it? Um, have you ever tried to hang a TV on a wall? <laughs> okay, I have. Um, so Pastor Brian and I at the office, this was a few years ago, we were trying to hang a, put a TV mount on a wall. And um, I pull out the, I just immediately beeline for the instruction manual. I love them. <laughs> Read them all. And um, Pastor Brian says, hey, do you want this? Nah, we don't need that. Whew, in the trash it goes. And we're, get the drill and 
drilling to the wall and we're hanging and putting the TV and it's heavy. And why'd he ask me to help in the first place? I don't know. We're reaching and struggling and we put it up there and it's like, it just slides this way. And that way, like, something's not right with this TV mount. And I walked over to the trash and pulled this out and there's a picture that's going to come on the screen. That's what it said on the front cover of the instruction manual. Get it right the first time. So I took a picture of that, and I said, Pastor Brian, I'm going to save this for when we need it later. Now, here's, here's why I include this. Yeah, it's, it's funny, and it's a true story, and I remind them of that sometimes. Get it right the first time. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we, when we take truth outside of the objective reality of God, it's as though we're taking the in, the designer and the instruction manual and saying forget about it and that's not the best way for us to live we're gonna be like that tv mount flopping around not working the way we're meant to live or work so understand paul i, I want let our truth be grounded first in the character of god and his word we are made to operate by the designer's instructions god is truth and all truth is preserved in Christ, as Colossians 2, 3. In whom Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want truth? Do you want wisdom? Go to God. It's all preserved for us in Christ. It's set and it's standard and we don't have to worry about it changing. It's reliable. And this is where God's word comes in because God's word is true. So if we're going to let what is true fill our thinking, we have no better place to go than the Word of God. Here are some examples. Just, just let these uh, fill our thinking this morning. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your Word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Proverbs 30 and verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. There's safety with God and in his word. Uh, Jesus says in Revelation 22, 6 uh, to John, he says, these words are trustworthy and true. So this morning, if we're going to hear the instruction from Paul, as we are assessing these things, do I delight in what is true? Do I delight in God and his word? That's going to be the best place for us to start. God has given us his word as the ultimate standard for truth and contains all that we need to know him, to glorify him, and enjoy him forever. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for us as a church. And that's what I want for the nations, that all peoples would know God, the creator, know him truly and rightly and ultimately in Christ and that they would glorify him. So I, uh, letter A, that's, we start with what is true. Letter B, what is honorable, that which is honorable, fill our thinking. This word means dignity and heavenly mindedness, heavenly, noble, in an attractive and inviting way. Colossians 3, 2, Paul says, set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things, things that are on earth. This quality describes a high, dignified, noble thinking. What captures your attention throughout the day or the week? I can 
easily spend lots of what I think are just minutes uh, here and there on social media, and I check, you know, because your phone tells you now, how long did you spend on the screen? And it's like, hours? Really? I have these timers set for apps on my phone. Oh, I just ignore 15 more minutes. That's not a big deal. But if we're going to let what is honorable fill our thinking, uh, the, the opposite of this is that dishonorable, casual, frivolous. So instead, Paul sets a higher standard for us to be heavenly-minded. C.S. Lewis, he, he makes the statement, we are far too easily pleased. And you know what? That's, that's what sin does to us. It promises, and then it under-delivers. And sin always makes you go further than you want to go, and it doesn't leave us satisfied. So instead here of being pleased with the things of earth, Paul is he's instructing the believers in Philippi to look, get your eyes up, set your mind on the things of heaven. Honorable thinking is delighting in the greater joys of Christ rather than the passing pleasures of the world. God is concerned with our thoughts. Now, we have to make, I have to, I have to say this. We can get into this thinking, and I want you to know, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, is there any hope that I can really change? Because there's room for us all to grow in these areas. Is there any hope that we can genuinely change? The answer is yes, by the grace of God. So just hear this from Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, here's true change, by the renewal of your mind. What do we let fill our thinking? That by testing, so as our mind is being renewed, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In a word, that which is honorable, that which is pleasing to God, dignified. So yes, we can grow in these areas together by the grace of God, and it starts by what we put into our minds. Thirdly, the third uh, uh, qualification is just. Whatever is just, let that shape our thinking. This word means righteous, right? And has a, a special connection with God's law, holiness. This quality has God's perfect standards of righteousness in view. Everything that God does is just, and he is the full and final standard for what is righteous. Proverbs eleven sixteen, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. And I'm, I'm pulling this scripture out for us to, to think about. So scales, when you, you set the weight on it and you would set your grain or whatever it is that you're weighing out to make sure you're getting a fair, just purchase. That's how they would handle those transactions. And that's why God says in his word, you, you're not going to have two types of weights or scales. You're going to have one, be fair, be righteous, be just. So what Paul is saying is, uh, we'll, be ha we'll have just thinking when our thinking is in line with God's thinking, God's law, his word, when they're, they're held together. We, we meet, we're setting our thinking on the same thinking of God according to his law. When it comes to justice and righteousness, I don't want justice being measured by what society says or what culture says, but according to who God is and what he has set forth in his word. So we can already see this is distinctively Christian thinking. Psalm 19, 7 through 9 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So let this scripture just encourage us that as we are taking in God's word, we're taking in what is best for us. God knows what's best for us. That which is just, that which is right. Letter D, you see in your your outline, your next bullet uh, is that which is pure. It means blameless, innocent, holy, and morally clean. Here the idea is of holiness, being free from sin. Because God is holy, he calls his people to share in his holiness, to be set apart. Take, uh, take as an example a water filter or an air filter. Um, if you're here in the Richmond area, you know uh, you, you get that water right from the sink. It kind of tastes like spare change. <laughs> and uh, so next door we have got a little pitcher. and You fill it up with water and it filters out all that metal stuff. And then you can drink it and it's okay. It tastes good. You put some ice in it, you're okay. And so, uh, unless you like the taste of metal, that, that's, that's up to you. But here's the thing, that metal taste is something that needs to be filtered out. And so in the same way, God's perfect purity acts like a filter for what we put into our minds. Uh, it's been said before, you become like what you behold. And as followers of Christ, we are called to a higher standard to share in God's holiness. Romans 16, 19, Paul says to the church there, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Be mature in thinking what is good and be pure, be innocent as to what is evil. Don't, don't let that have a hold on our thinking. Letter E, lovely. Here's another characteristic. This word means beautiful. Sweet, gracious, and generous. And, and the root of this word is, is the phileo, the same word for Christian brotherly love. This speaks to what is beautiful in the eyes of God, that which is spiritually attractive for believers. And this is, I can point us to no, nothing more beautiful or more glorious than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 27.4, just, just meditate on this with me for a minute. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. So when Paul instructs us to have what is lovely fill our thinking, he has in mind this, this beauty, this wholesome attractiveness, the glory of Christ. Samuel Rutherford, he says it this way. In one of his letters, he wrote, Acquaint yourself with Christ's love, and you shall not miss to find new gold mines and treasures in Christ. God's love for us in Christ is immeasurable and inexhaustible. So as believers, let our minds be filled with that which is lovely, that which is Christ and his love for us. Another way we could say it, from Psalm 29 too, it's the splendor of holiness. Jesus loves his people. He, loves, he has loved us to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as we fill our mind with what is lovely, 
our minds are being drawn and pointed to Jesus Christ. The next letter you see is commendable. The word means well spoken of, having a good report or a high regard. And this, of course, is according to God's standard, not the world's. You know, in Romans, towards the end of Romans chapter one, Paul, is, he, he's, he's detailing what happens when a, a people, a society, neglects God. What happens to that, to that culture, that people? Romans chapter one. And here's what he says. It, it's, it spirals down and down, like, like in the book of Judges. You forget God and everything starts to spiral. And so what Paul, Paul says, at the end of Romans one, there's all gonna be sorts of sinfulness and it's all gonna be out and about in the world. And he says, towards the, it's the very last verse of Romans 1, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, and this is true for all sin, the wages of sin is death. Those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's not the kind of commendation that Paul has in mind here. He has in mind a godly standard of commendation. What is pleasing to God? I want to think about that. That's the same thing with that which is excellent, letter G. Moral virtue and goodness. And this is where Paul begins his, his summary. He's getting to the highest point. Anything, anything of moral virtue. If God says it's excellent, fill your mind with that. And letter H, praiseworthiness that which is praised by God. Let those things shape our thinking. Living for the praise of man, humans, is draining. It's joy stealing. But living for the praise of God is life giving and joy filling. At the end of the day, I want what is pleasing to God, that which God praises, I want that to fill my thinking. And from there, our whole lives. So these are these eight characteristics, these eight qualities that Paul would have for us today. It's same thing at the church of Philippi. Let these things shape our thinking. I like the way Steve Lawson summarized it. He says, ultimately, each one of these virtues is a description of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is true. All truth is held up in Jesus. He is honorable, he, he is just, he made a way to cover our sin. He's pure, absolutely holy, he's lovely. He obeys the will of God perfectly. He's worthy of praise. So we think about him. So in a word, as we assess these things, what do I delight in? Lifelong discipleship is a lifelong joy in the Lord. What do we delight in? These things, we fill our minds with them. Second question. What do I do? What do I do? Practice these things. This comes from verse 9, the first half of verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Uh, it's another way to say this. It, put into practice. James says to be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's what Paul has in mind. This is our, the second command in this verse. And it's a continuous command. We are always to be doers of the word, not hearers only. That leads us to letter A. If we're going to be doers of the word, 
If we're going to practice these things, we need to, first, we need to understand and obey God's word. We're never going to graduate beyond that for our Christian life and walk. We always have to understand and obey God's word. That's what, uh, learned. To know, that's what that word means, to know, but with a, with a moral bearing or responsibility. It's doctrinal truth. Paul, his aim was to go wherever he would go, traveling, plant churches, preach the gospel, and open up the scriptures and teach. He wanted all people to have the truth and to know what to do with the truth when they were given to it. So uh, if, just to borrow from Alistair Begg, uh, we're talking about learning for living, truth for life. It's, it's not enough to know what to do, but never do it, to never follow through. And this is what the aim of preaching is. Every Lord's Day we gather, what, does, what has God said? What does it mean and how do we obey? Or from this text, what should I know? What do I need to feel? What do I need to do? That's why we gather for preaching. It's so essential for our Christian walk to understand God's word and then, Lord, help me to obey it. Learning and teaching, uh, this is a personal thing. It requires that we are known, so the, that which, those who are doing the teaching and those who are receiving the teaching, we need to be in relationship together. That's where learning happens best. And this is where we're encouraged to actually obey the very thing we hear this morning. Well, when Paul says that which you have received, he's talking about scripture, specifically talking about scripture. He sent this to them as a letter. <laughs> you receive a letter. And that, is, that description can also be said for the whole of scripture. We're to receive God's word, take it in, take it in personally. Have you ever received a message you didn't really want to hear? Or someone gives you a message you weren't expecting? Or maybe you received some criticism or some evaluation you weren't ready for? That Paul doesn't want the church there to be caught off guard. He wants them to receive this word as it really is, God's word, and remind, just remind, just encouraging, practice it. So I uh, talked to Pastor Brian as we were going through this, this sermon. He said, hey, uh, put a quote in for me. Uh, practice makes permanent. He said, put that on a slide like we do with our quotes. I said, I'm not doing that. But he said, hey, you can quote me on it. Practice makes permanent. Not perfect. Practice makes permanent. So there's two ditches we need to be aware of here. The first is thinking, well, my obedience doesn't really matter. I mean, there's grace. That's all I need. Obey Jesus or not, you know, Jesus doesn't think about my obedience. That's not true. We have God's instruction for us right here. Be doers of the word. Practice these things. God cares about our obedience. The ditch on the other side is thinking that my obedience is required in order for God to love me. That's not true either. It's, a, it's wrong to think that God's love for me is dependent, ultimately dependent on my actions or my obedience or my performance. Both are insufficient. So consider how the gospel writes our thinking. See, the gospel tells us and shows us that not because of anything we have done that God loves us, but because of Jesus Christ. That if we are in Christ, through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. We are joined with him. That's how God the Father looks at each and every one of us. He looks at me and he sees the Son because I'm trusting in him. So God's love for me is not dependent on me. 
God has loved us while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8. And if, if we have been loved by God in Christ, that love is a love that carries us and makes our desires. I want to obey Christ. I want to be pleasing to him because he has loved me so much to the end, to the cross and out of the tomb. So let's be right in our thinking that our obedience matters and our obedience matters because we love Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you. You want God to be at work in your life? Starts by receiving God's word. Luke 8, 21, Jesus, his words, he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it, obey. I want to be counted among that number. Those who hear and those who obey. Colossians 2, 6, therefore as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Obey, follow, We receive Christ Jesus by repentance and faith. And that's how we walk in Christ. We repent and we walk by faith. By faith we receive God's word and God's word strengthens our faith. That's a work of conversion. Acts 2.41, all those who receive the word were baptized. So if we're gonna practice these things, we have to have an understanding to obey God's word. And letter B We are to model and reflect our Savior. So Paul says, these things which you have heard and seen in me. In other words, he's talking about his his godly character, his character and conduct. Reputation and character travels. Actions speak louder than words. You've probably heard that before. Paul was the same person with them, the church of Philippi, with them in person as he was when he was far away. Remember that Paul was writing this letter from prison for preaching the same gospel that we are hearing this morning. He was in prison for it. Character and integrity are priceless, and they come as a result of putting God's word into practice. God works in our hearts through his word, having an effect in us, and it all comes through our thinking. God's word goes into our, our thinking and shapes our heart and our desires. And that all is happening by the Holy Spirit who takes his word as we hear it, to understand it, to live it, fruit comes from it. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter writes, But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do with gentleness and respect. We know that, we know that part, verse 15. But I want to include verse 16, because this is the same thing that Paul's dealing with here. He said, Peter says, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In other words, when Paul, when Paul says, you've heard, you know me, you've seen me, you've seen my life, you know my character and my testimony, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what he's saying. And so this is true for each one of us as believers. If we're gonna put these things into practice, We are to follow Christ, follow those that God has given in our leadership here at church, follow their godly conduct, our elders, our pastors. We follow them as they follow Christ. And this is modeling. 
Paul modeled when, modeled when he was with them his, his behavior. Actions and reactions in real time. And that's where sometimes, now that's where the little bit of conviction comes. Our, our immediate, what's my, my knee-jerk reaction is not always reflective of Jesus Christ. But I want it to be. Think about someone who's had the greatest influence in your life. Often, those people that have the greatest influence in our lives are those who are the same in private as they are in public. They're the same person. Paul was one of such one of those people. It, it's as though he's saying, hey, Philippians, I was with you. You know me. You know my character, my reputation. You've seen Christ on display in my life, so follow me. Psalm 40, verse 8 says it like this. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So can we say this as, as believers, as a church? Is, is this your desire this morning? Do you want to model and reflect and be a, a practice, one who practices God's word? Only by God's grace can we do that well for the glory of God. So, not only are we to practice these things, so lifelong discipleship is the lifelong joy of obedience. I want each one of us to share that this morning, the joy of obedience. I, I once I, I saw a, a clip not too long ago. It was a quote, and somebody was saying, the disobedient Christian has got to be the most miserable person in the whole wide world. And he had my attention, so I kept watching the clip. And he says, the reason for that is, the, the Christian is someone who knows that sin is not good. It's not pleasing to God. And yet I'm, I stumble and I struggle. So I'm convicted about that. I'm, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm pressed down over my own sin. And yet I'm not sharing in the joy of obedience. I'm not pleasing to God as the way I want to. So what's the way forward? Well, the way forward is repent, confess, Trust that Jesus' death is sufficient to cover every single one of our sins, past, present, and future. And by God's grace, well, today, that's the title of the message, from this day forward, I'm going to take one step of obedience. And I'll take the next step of obedience. I'll take the next step. And that's how God causes us to grow in Christ-likeness. So it's the lifelong joy of obedience. And that leads us to our third question. With whom do I dwell? With whom do I dwell? And this is the promise, the second half of verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. So after the two commands in this section, we end with a promise. The promise is fellowship together in Christ. So you see, uh, first, that's letter A, the God of peace. is the one with whom we dwell. The God of peace. Now before we get to the God of peace, we need to talk about peace with God. You see, our sin has caused a separation between us and God. God in his complete perfection, and each one of us has fallen short of his perfection. There's division and brokenness between us and God. Not only that, but our, understand that our sin, is a, it's, it's a fracturing, a fragmentation of the good relationship that God made for us to have with him. We are made to worship God alone, but instead sin causes us to worship ourselves. And so doing, we are rebelling against God. 
when Paul used this phrase, the God of peace, this was one of his favorite phrases. I think he used it six times in the New Testament, five or six times. So I just was wondering, why does Paul call God the God of peace? Here's why. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Listen to this. For in him, that's in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile, that is to restore the broken relationship. Through Christ to reconcile to himself, that is make us right with God. All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The reason that God is the God of peace is because Jesus, God the Son, God, and the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, shed his blood on the cross. And so doing, made the way for peace for you and for me. God is the God of peace in Christ through his blood shed on the cross. The blood of Christ covers us from all sins when we turn from our sin and trust in him trust that his blood really is enough to make me have peace with god and this is a god that i want to dwell with now we can dwell with the god of peace if we've experienced the peace of god in christ this peace of god the 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 god of peace and we went through that last week a little bit the peace of god guards your hearts in the previous that's verse verse seven and now he brings it up again in verse 9. It was the peace of God, and now it's the God of peace. What's the good news? As believers, we get to dwell with God himself. And ultimately, we are trusting that when Christ returns and takes us with him and makes all things new, we will be with God. We will dwell with him face to face. We get to enjoy his presence. So we know that God is everywhere all the time, and yet this promises that he will be near He'll be with you. His presence comforts us when we're afraid. Where can we go from God's presence? Nowhere. God of peace will be with you wherever we go, no matter what we face. Letter B, though, I just want, I want us to, to realize this. Uh, the you, when Paul says the God of peace will be with you, is plural. And this dwelling together that we share is not an isolation but it's in community. It's with one another, letter B. So this promise that we have, the God of peace will be with you. We dwell with God in Christ, but we also dwell together in a community of believers called the church. And we gather together. We worship together. We praise God together. We think on these things. We encourage one another in these things to be those who do, hear, and obey. So with whom do I dwell? We dwell with God in peace and we dwell with one another. That requires us to be known, to be real in our relationships. In a word, lifelong discipleship is the lifelong joy of God's presence. So here to summarize, three questions to assess our lifelong discipleship, our discipleship health. From here on out, let's stay forward. Where is my delight? I want to think about God. And what do I do? I want to practice these things. And with whom do I dwell? I dwell with the God of peace, with one another.
Have you experienced the peace of God this morning, today? I want you to know, don't leave today without knowing. You can have and experience the peace of God in Christ. When you turn from your sin and trust in him, and that peace is a peace that will not be taken away from you, no matter what we go through. And then my next step as a healthy follower of Christ is, and you can fill in the blank. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, you are the God of peace. Lord, you are the one worthy of all of our thinking and all of our praise and all of our worship. Lord, I pray that you would take your word and cause it to bear fruit, fruit in my life and our life, our lives today, that we would hear your word, that our thinking would be shaped by it, oh, and that we would obey. Lord, teach us the joy of your presence, the joy of knowing you, and the joy of obeying you. Lord, we thank you for your grace in Christ. And Lord, I pray that today, if there's one here who has not yet turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, may today be the day that they experience your peace for the first time. And I pray that today would be the day of whether you're struggling or discouraged or don't know how you can take one more step, I pray that today would be the day that you work in our hearts to cause us to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, I can't do these things, but you can, and we trust you. Lord, thank you that we get to sing praises to your name. Shape our hearts today as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.